pastor enthusiastically. I welcomed those who had come to church one Sunday morning and in looking out at the mostly lethargic response from his congregation, he made the comment that he wished they would get as excited about Sunday morning worship service as they did about college football games on Saturday. So one of the members, eager to spur on some excitement for Jesus, decided to take him up on his challenge. He sang every song that morning at the top of his lungs, like he would the fight song of his alma mater. He gave a boisterous standing ovation after the choir special. And when the offering plate was passed, he stood up and said, I'm tithing, first thing in 10%. During the invitation, he rushed headlong at the altar with Bible in hand and dove headlong at the corner of the stairs, knocking over the decorative table and flower vase. Then at the end of the service, he went to the church kitchen and loaded up a drinking cooler full of ice-cold Gatorade and in happy celebration doused the pastor still standing there in his suit and yelled, way to go, preacher. You did a good job and Jesus won. After that worship service, the pastor never made another comment about the excitement his worship congregation would show. Well, I'm excited that you're here today and excited just that you're here. So nobody go get a bucket of Gatorade and dump it on me after I'm done, all right? But I'm also excited that I get to share God's word with you. And excitement manifests itself and shows itself in different ways. In fact, I think at the passage that we're going to read this morning, Paul was excited as he shared God's truth with God's people. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Or if you've got an app on your phone, you can select 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 1 through 9 together. And here's this good, exciting news that I want to share with you this morning. In Christ, sinners become saints. In Christ, sinners become saints. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The preacher Oswald Chambers 
said this, Sin is a fundamental relationship. It is not wrongdoing, but wrongbeing. It is deliberate and determined independence from God. The Christian faith bases everything on the extreme self-confident nature of sin. Other faiths deal with sins, plural. The Bible alone deals with sin, singular. The first thing Jesus Christ confronted in people was the heredity of sin. And it is because we have ignored this in our presentation of the gospel that the message of the gospel has lost its sting and explosive power. The revealed truth of the Bible is not that Jesus Christ took on himself our fleshly sins, but that he took on himself the heredity of sin that no man can even touch. God made his own son to be sin that he might make the sinner into a saint. Those are some weighty words, aren't they? But they're good. Over the last couple of weeks, you've been studying the book of Ephesians in Sunday school. And though I'm not going to be preaching to you out of passages from Ephesians on Sunday morning, I'm still going to be sharing with you some of the same principles found in the book of Ephesians. So perhaps you picked up a bulletin this morning and you noticed a little bookmark with an Ephesians Bible reading plan in it. It looks something like this right here. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you over the next 21 days to read through the book of Ephesians along with the rest of the church family. Allow God to speak to your heart and reveal to you His truth. On the front side of that bookmark, there's six really good Bible study principles for you to keep in mind. And on the back side, it gives you the daily passages to read over the next 21 days. And really, one of the ideas that's presented in Ephesians chapter 1 is the idea of God transforming a sinner into a saint through His Son, Jesus Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about identity in Christ. Last week, I shared with you about our identity as a collective body of believers. We are God's church. We are citizens of God's household and living stones in God's temple. Today and over the next three weeks, I want to speak to you about your individual identity in Christ. In the first three chapters of Ephesians... The phrase in Christ or in Him with reference to Christ appears 18 times. When we are in Christ, that is when we have chosen to believe in Him and name Him Lord, then we become the people God created us to be. One of the identifications about a person in Christ is that he or she is a saint. I'm not talking about one of those Catholic statues that people touch as a good luck charm. The word saint literally means holy one. Anytime that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter in the New Testament and he addressed it to the saints, he was not giving privileged information to a superior class of Christians. Rather, he was writing to every single believer in the church and reminded them of their position in Christ. Saints are the holy ones of God in Christ Jesus. 
In the book of Ephesians alone, the word saint appears nine times. From these nine occurrences, we discover the following truths about our identity in Christ as saints. Saints are faithful followers of Jesus. They are brothers and sisters in Christian family. They are heirs of the kingdom. They are members of God's household. They are heralds of the gospel. They are the beloved children of God. They are builders of the body of Christ. They are the morally pure and righteous. And they are prayer warriors in spiritual battle. On a football field, the members of the team wear jerseys. On each of those jerseys is a number printed on the front and the same number printed on the back. And although each of these numbers are unique to the players in their respective positions, those numbers authorize players on the field to line up in certain positions and to be a part of the game. I want you to think of being identified as a saint in Christ like the numbers on a football jersey identify players on the field. Each and every one of you are God's unique creation. You don't wear the same number. But each and every one of you who are in Christ are saints. You have a number that says you are part of God's kingdom. This morning I want you to understand how sinners become saints in Christ. God wants you to become one of his saints. So how does a person go from being a sinner to being a saint? Here are the two numbers I believe that Paul says are etched on the back and on the front of every believer in Christ to identify them as saints. The first number etched on a believer's chest is his or her calling. You are a saint in Christ through your calling. We see Paul emphasize this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 and in verse 9. In verse 2, Paul explained this idea of sainthood. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Notice that Paul explains that he was called an apostle of Jesus Christ in verse 1, and then in verse 2, that the church in Corinth, all members of the church, are saints by calling. The same God who called the great apostle Paul is the same God who called each and every one of these believers. And he titled them or labeled them saints, holy ones. We know from reading the story of Paul's vision of the resurrected Jesus in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus personally appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And he called Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Even though many of these Christians in Corinth had not experienced the same type of blinding encounter with Jesus, they had all experienced a moment of decision to trust in Jesus when the Holy Spirit came and opened the eyes of their hearts to see God's truth revealed in the person of His Son. If you are a Christian, you have experienced and received a call from God in your life and on your life. 
Some people explain this calling of God as an internal witness of the Holy Spirit in their spirit. When even though they're not hearing the voice of God over a loudspeaker, they know that God is speaking directly to them. Others have commented that it's like God tugging at your heart or pulling on your heartstrings. Some people have used an older religious expression to describe this call by using the terms, I was under God's conviction. They felt God's call on their life. However you would like to verbally express that point in time, you know the time that I'm talking about if you're a Christian. It's the point in your life that you knew God was calling you to follow Jesus. And if you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, it's because God was calling you to himself. Paul says that this church was a group of saints by calling. But I also want you to notice that this calling presented in verse 2 is not just about an experiential event in a believer's past. It's also a truth for the believer to remember in the present. When a person trusts Jesus to save them, they are not only justified before God, they are also sanctified in Christ Jesus because of the work that Jesus has done on their behalf. That word sanctified that Paul uses in verse 2 to describe the saints is a word that means set apart. In the Christian sense, a Jesus follower is set apart as holy to God. That is, they are different from the rest. So in Christ, we are not only forgiven of our past failures and mistakes, but we are also given the spiritual wherewithal to walk in godliness on a daily basis. This supernatural power does not come from the power within ourselves, but from the power that is in Christ. It's His holiness because He is the one who has redeemed our lives for His glory. And when He takes up residence in our lives and when He sits upon the throne of our hearts, His holiness exudes through our attitudes and words and actions. In other words, sinners cannot become saints by the good things that they do. We're not saints because we call ourselves saints. We're saints by His calling. We're not kept saints by the good works that we continue to produce. We are saints because of the sanctification that is ours through Christ. Sinners become saints because Jesus calls them. And they remain saints because Jesus has called them forever. Our holiness, listen and understand, our holiness is not dependent upon our own faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of God. God wants us to be obedient and He wants us to be faithful, but our standing before Him is not based upon what we do, it's based upon what God does for us. Look at the end of this passage in verse 9. It says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to share with you an example, I believe illustrates this point. The story goes that the New York Giants, the baseball club, by the way, not the football team, 
had a dazzling young outfielder playing for their double-A minor league team in Minneapolis. And on May the 25th of 1951, they called him up to play his first major league baseball game. They stuck their promising prospect in center field and batted him third in the lineup. That day, he went hitless in five at-bats with one strikeout. He didn't get a hit in five plate appearances against the Phillies the next day, but he did draw two walks. Then, in four more at-bats the next game, he went hitless again. Even though the Giants, his team, won all three contests, it was a suboptimal start for their prospect, and it kind of left him in a puddle going, what do I do? In his first trip to the plate the next game, he smashed a home run off the future Hall of Fame pitcher Warren Spahn, but then he went hitless in his next 13 at-bats. After a 1-for-26 start in his major league baseball career, the manager called him into his office. And every rookie knows what that means. Son, we think you need some more time down in the minors. Thinking that this was not a good sign and he was going to be sent back down to minor league ball, he was surprised to hear the coach say, Willie, I know you're not hitting the ball, but you are our center fielder. And we're not sending you back down. We called you up so you could play. By the end of the month of June, Willie Mays held a 320 batting average and was on track to become one of the greatest who have ever played the game of baseball. In some ways, he credited his manager with telling him, we called you up to play. You might not think in the Christian life that you have ever amounted to much or are ever going to amount to much in his kingdom. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, the list of sins you've committed in your past might have taken liters of Christ's blood to cover. The failures you're still dealing with to this day may cause you to think that God doesn't want you, that his church doesn't need you, and that you are the worst Christian in the history of God's kingdom. But I want to tell you something that Paul shared with the Corinthian church. Yes, that church that got things wrong more often than they got things right. In Christ, sinners become saints. If you gave your life to Jesus when he called you, then you are one of his holy ones. You are redeemed. You are a child of the perfect heavenly father. You are set apart with a brand new heart as mercy me sings. You are free indeed. You are a citizen of the kingdom. God is not going to unsave you. He's not going to disassociate you, forget about you, leave you, or forsake you. God called you to salvation in Christ. And he's not going to change his mind about it. You are a saint. You need to remember that front number. God has called you a saint. And you also need to notice the number you wear on your back to identify you as one of his saints. You are a saint in Christ through your confirmation. You are a saint in Christ through your confirmation. We see Paul explain this idea of confirmation in verses 4 through 8. 
And no, I'm not talking about the class that some churches offer to confirm you in your faith. I'm talking about a sense of spiritual confirmation that Jesus brings about in our lives as we follow him. In verses 4 through 8, Paul breaks down the blessings that belong to believers in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we have God's grace and his peace. We have spiritual enrichment in speech and in knowledge. There is abundance and supply in our gifts. There is the expectation that Jesus will return to us and take us to be with him. And that when he comes, we will be presented blameless before him. But I want you to notice one verb in these verses that is used twice. Paul said that these Christians, said of these Christians, that the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, verse 6. And that the Lord Jesus Christ will also confirm you to the end. Verse 8, in other words, Jesus doesn't just call you one of his saints and then leave you in your sins as someone incapable of following him. He's not trying to make us feel better about ourselves or think better about ourselves. He's helping us realize his power in transforming our lives. That is, he doesn't just pat us on the back, kind of like Rudy, and throw us in the end of a football game just as a token piece. He actually does a great work in us. Jesus confirms you as one of his saints by changing, transforming, metamorphosizing your life. God doesn't just call you a saint when you're not. He knows that you're a saint even when you don't think you are. He knows that you're not perfect. We know that we are not perfect. But as Christians, we know that God is at work in us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. And the same God who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until and at the day of Christ Jesus' return. There was once a little caterpillar inching his way across a branch. He looked up above him in the openings between the tree branches and saw over his head the beautiful blossoms of the fruit tree that he called home. Amongst the flowers and the luscious green leaves, he saw another beautiful winged creature with multiple colors fluttering about this way and that, dancing in the sunlight. He called out to the creature, What are you? And the creature shouted back, I am a butterfly, and so are you. That little caterpillar looked at himself and said, I'm not a butterfly. I'm a worm. I'm nothing like you. He continued on his way, munching through leaves, seeing more butterflies along the way, and the butterflies above him would say, Hey, little brother, butterfly. And he would respond, I'm not your brother, and I'm not a butterfly. I'm nothing like you. And it continued on and on until he got sick and tired of hearing the butterflies call him a caterpillar, a butterfly. 
And so he decided that he was going to cover himself up and wrap himself so tight that none of the other butterflies would be able to talk to him. And he formed a little cocoon and took a long nap. And he awoke very hungry and ate his way out of this little shell he had built for himself, hoping that those silly butterflies had gone away and were going to leave him alone. And as he began to crawl on the branch, he felt something funny on his back. And then, without really even thinking about it, he lit off the branch. And he started to flap wings that were on his back. And he took notice and said, Why, I'm not a caterpillar. I'm a butterfly. Reality may be this for you. You might understand all too well just how much of a worm and a sinner that you are. But when you keep looking at the things you have done wrong and the mistakes that you've made and the sins that you've committed and you forget to fix your eyes on Christ, you have failed to see His power that is able to transform your life. Jesus is in not just the business but the graciousness of taking sinners who are completely lost and hopeless and blind and poor and naked and miserable and wretched and turning them into saints. You are a saint through your confirmation in Christ. Your sainthood is not based upon your reputation before others, but by your redemption in Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus as Lord, you become what He says you are, and you are whom He has made you to be. Sainthood is not a status level of Christianity to which you can be nominated, venerated, or elected by yourself or others. If you are in Christ, then you are a saint. Jesus is holy, and we are to be holy like the Holy One who called us. Jesus is perfect, and as we serve Him, He is perfecting us, and one day He will complete His good work. In Christ, you are a saint because He has called you to be His Holy One, and He is confirming you as one of His Holy Ones. You may not be perfect, but Jesus is. You are a saint based upon His righteousness and not your own. Perhaps you're here today and you are still dead and your trespasses and your sins and you know it. There's no way in the world you would ever consider calling yourself a saint because you know that you're a sinner. And without Christ, that's the truth. You're nothing more than a sinner. But did you know that God wants to call you one of his saints? He wants you to be forgiven of your sin, and He wants you to be free to live a holy life. And He is able to do both of those things, to forgive you and set you free. All you have to do is turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus in faith. When you call upon Him in absolute surrender, He will call you one of His saints. That is what a saint does 
As Paul explained in verse 2, a saint is one who in every place gathers with other believers and calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus has already forgiven you of your sins because you repented of sin and confessed Him as the Lord of your life. But if you're honest with yourself, you've forgotten your position in Christ. Because you look at yourself so much, you fail to see God's transforming power in your life. You're not living a life of holiness to serve, honor, and please a holy God. Maybe you just need to remember that the calling God has placed upon your life is one that He graciously decided to bestow. You are a saint. Let Him confirm His grace in your life in a new and fresh way. I would even challenge you to resubmit to His authority in your life again today. In Christ, sinners become saints. Are you a saint? Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a moment, Nick and is going to lead us in a song. And as this song is played and sung, I just want to ask you to respond to God as He is speaking to your heart this morning. If you're here and you want to become a saint, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'd love to spend some more time talking with you and praying with you. If you just come down here in the front and speak with me during this song, I'll talk to you some more about surrendering your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you just need to come and kneel at this altar and, and pray to the Lord to help you remember who you are in Him. Maybe God is dealing with your heart where you stand about something else and you just need to spend a few moments responding to Him. Perhaps you need to join our church or surrender to a call that God has placed on your life to ministry. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to come and speak with me. This altar is open if you need to come and pray. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to Him?